I'm Adam Coleman, inviting you to the fifth season of The Cosmic Library from LitHub. This season, we go on our tiniest reading adventure yet, into short stories in the U.S. But this too turns out to be almost all-encompassing. I think short stories are essentially brief encounters with felt life. That's Oxford literary scholar Andrew Kahn, who gives us a deep history of the short story. And we hear from The New Yorker's Deborah Treisman, who explains her work as an editor of short fiction. You know, if you are melding with another person, you don't turn that person into you, but you get to know the ins and outs of that person. So, and it's, it's sort of like that. I always feel involved with the stories. We bounce around between the history and current life of short stories with the novelist Justin Taylor. The nice thing about it going out of fashion is that it really frees you up to relate to it in a different way. This being the Cosmic Library, we make sure to go way beyond U.S. short stories, too. Here's the Washington Post critic, Becca Rothfeld. A lot of Kafka short stories, I think, gesture at or describe um, sort of nightmarish geographies or architectures. And the actor Max Gordon Moore reminds us just how wild short stories can be. With a reading in its entirety of Wakefield, the intensely strange, classic Nathaniel Hawthorne story. He had contrived, or rather he had happened, to dissever himself from the world, to vanish. Get ready for all that and more in a season about short stories, small windows into vast universes. It's season five of The Cosmic Library, available soon wherever you go for podcasts. Welcome to the Maris Review. I'm Maris Kreisman, and I am so delighted to be joined by my first guest for 2022 today. Sochal Gonzalez received her MFA from the Iowa Writers Workshop. Prior to writing, she wore many hats, including entrepreneur, wedding planner, fundraiser, and tarot card reader. She's a proud alumna of the New York City public school system and holds a BA in art history and visual art from Brown University. She lives in her hometown of Brooklyn with her dog, Hector Laveau. Olga Dies Dreaming is her debut novel. So nice to see you, Sochal. So nice to see you. Oh my gosh, this is like really lovely. And I love your podcast. So it's really great. Um, thank you. Thank you. So, you know, I I, I try um, on this podcast to make sure that everyone listening knows that an author is not their main character. Right, <laughs> yes. That, um, just talking about one doesn't mean I'm talking about the other. Yes. However. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your author bio um, yes. says that you were once a wedding planner. I Would was for a really long time, for a really long time, actually. I, I was the wedding planner for like 13 years um, and I owned the business for like 15 years. So definitely um, there's like, there's some concrete biographical similarities and then there's some emotional biographical mm -hmm. similarities, but like, but then there's totally wild stuff. But I just sort of thought weddings were such a, well, I think on the very deep level, I usually do, do shallow stuff first, but on the very <laughs> deep level, I think I did spend a lot of time thinking about, even though there were moments that were great, there were, you know, it is sort of a service industry job. It's like sort of like a high level service industry job, but it's still like, you know, it's in the hospitality business. And I, I really love that. And I always grew up in a family that had a lot of things. And like, and so I, I understood the draw and, and I was an entrepreneur and it was very creative, but then there would be moments where you're like, 
how did you end up choosing a path where you're like literally kind of servicing your peers, like in a funny way? And like, and I, I would have these like come to Jesus moments, like about just like, what was I doing with my intellectual side of my brain? And like, you know, like I, I, I was like, I, I think I, I was a little, um, I would have these moments and I thought that that was an interesting thing for a character. Like, I just sort of thought that that could be very interesting. And I, and I generally found that dynamic that the, cause the other biographical thing that's similar is that my mother and my father were also both militant activists. And I was raised by my grandparents, both of my grandparents in this case here in Brooklyn, because they were kind of off doing like militant political things. And that I, I didn't sort of, know. Oh yeah. But I sort of just thought that I found that own thing about my own life really fascinating. Like that my parents were so like, La Rasa, and that I was like, get me to a million dollar wedding. You know, like, <laughs> I could, I, and I was like, how did this happen? And I, I thought that was fascinating. And just, you know, wedding planning, like I was doing it at like a very high level. Like it was like a half million dollars and, and up generally. And, um, I, especially towards the end. I know my grandmother would always be like, do they know they could buy a house for that kind of money? <laughs> and I would be like, they have so many houses. Right. Like, like, they're not worried about housing, like homes they have covered. Shelter is, is solid, like with, the, with this family. So, you know, I think um, I did just sort of think it was a great way to talk about class. And I just sort of feel like I don't know, class is one of these strange things. It doesn't get discussed nearly as much in contemporary American literature as you even find it in other, um, when I say contemporary, I really mean like of the moment, like you just don't see it talked about quite as much as like, I think that people think about it. So it just yeah. sort of felt like a good, um, good choices. Yian Lee always says like, what, how do they make their money? Like, if I don't know how they make their money, like I'm, I'm, I'm suspicious of something. And I was like, yes. well, this way you kind of know how she makes her money. And you kind of get a worldview about how she thinks about money and it enables you to talk about it while it feels organic, you know? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and you can see, I mean, uh, and we're just talking about Olga now. Yeah, um, yeah. That she does come to, and this isn't spoiling anything, I don't think. It, she does consider the idea that perhaps she uh, chose this career sort of as an act of rebellion against her, her mother. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's like also this idea of, you know, and this is definitely another similarity. I think, you know, really that when I was starting out the book, I thought to myself, I got a divorce. I got a divorce when I was 30 and maybe I was almost 31. And I remember my ex being like, you need therapy. And I was like, you're right. Like, I was like, I do need therapy. And then like, like, so I sort of thought, what would have happened had I not spent 10 years like in therapy and like what would all these weird coping mechanisms that's why I say like there's a lot of like emotional biographical similarity mm -hmm. but like where I took like like I was very competitive in my 30s you know like and like I, I was like like especially in my 20 my late 20s going into my 30s and it was like they got that job like why didn't I get that job and I think like this idea of like what would happen if that stuff was left unvarnished like un and if you didn't have somebody to talk about those moments when you didn't feel you were treated well and what would like revenge mechanisms be like and what would these like screwed up things like evolve into like if you weren't left unchecked for like an extra decade and that's kind of where the character evolves so there are roots that are intentionally similar but she's more of my like untherapized untherapized avatar <laughs> I love that I love that yeah so, and I definitely feel like um 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the stuff about like re revenge, but also, you know, I think like when you came of age at that, at that age, you did get invited to, it was the dawn of like, it was the dual edged sword of like affirmative action. Like people would accuse you of having gotten anything that you got because of affirmative action, but then that undermined your sense of belonging when you got there. And so like, like it was sort of this um very heady time. And I think, you know, I, I, I was telling somebody in academia this, I was like, like we were, a lot of people were invited to a lot of tables at that, in mm -hmm. that era, like the mm -hmm. mid nineties, the early mid nineties, but we weren't necessarily given forks and knives with right. when, which to eat. And so I think she carries a lot of this like desire to at this one time want to prove herself to an audience where she didn't feel she fit in. Um, and at the same time annoyed because she feels that she deserved to be there. Do you know what I mean? And so it's this like, there's a lot of internal turmoil I think that goes on with her, but like, it was kind of fun to write about a character that like is living her like inner thoughts that are at odds with each other sometimes. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it, it you, you're so good. I mean, using weddings, um, to to show like what Olga wants from a wedding or, or thinks that people get out of weddings. And it's just like the most jaded, <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, you know, it's, it's a social performance. It's about competition. It's about one-upping your peers. Um, and yeah, it could, it can certainly seem like that. And then, you know, then we have to think about like, okay, so what do we do for like love <laughs> right? tradition? Right. And right. right. I mean, I think, isn't that interesting? Like, I definitely feel like on the one hand, actually working in weddings made me at once like the most cynical person and yet the most romantic person. Like I am like mm -hmm. the most easygoing wedding guest because I'm just like so happy that like they're like having a party and having a good time and like I think I do think that like a lot of things like I mean I think we saw this during COVID like social gatherings kind of became status symbols because you had the means within which to like it was like this this thing that had been taken away a commodity that had been taken away from everybody and suddenly some people had the means to pay for rapid tests and so they could still have a party and like you know like and I think that um there is a little bit of that especially in the world of like sort of um I think we're you know right now I feel like Gen Z is like kind of rebelling against a lot of this it feels more like the 70s where it's like let's just run to city hall and get married yeah. but I do think like there was certainly a time in the aughts in the, or in, the, in the early teens, like where, especially like, you know, in hedge funds and Wall Street and like pre-recession and like, a, like it was, it was totally like status driven. And, um, and I think that that whole drive around being like unique, you know, like this, like what, what, what is, what is the point of that? It's like, and the point is like to make a statement in some sense. And I, I do think it's good though. It's good to be romantic and know the wedding is not love. So then what do you do for love? Right? Like, and that is kind of nice and maybe should be super private. I don't know, or maybe not. Like, I think it's like, I thought that these, I would cry during COVID seeing these little stoop weddings, like where people were like all over the sidewalk. And like, I didn't know, like I, I passed like two or three of them. And I was like, that's pretty beautiful. Like you've been stuck in that house for months together now. And this is what you decided to do. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, it's beautiful, right? It really is beautiful. Sorry. I got like, yeah, I was, okay. I was now thinking about, about uh, all the weddings, weddings I didn't get to go to. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, I know. But aren't we excited to go again? Like, I'm so excited. I have a wedding in January and Omarion be damned. I'm like, I mean, I'm really excited to go. It's outdoors in California, but like, I, I, I can't wait. And I love them. They've been together for a long time. Like, it's like just this like awesome thing to witness. Right. So, so I'm not nearly as jaded as Olga is. She's pretty, she's pretty dark. She's gotten to a dark place. <laughs> she has. And, and so she, she talks about how so much of her life has been about climbing. Yes. Um, and of course, I'm sure that anyone in New York City feels that way at some point. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I do. But. Think, but no, I definitely think it's this funny thing. I, I had this opportunity to um, talk with Sandra Cisneros for um, the Arkansas like Public Library Festival. Like, it's hmm. like so it was like such a random way that this came about. But I said to her in the little before, I was like, you know, I was like, I really was like, what happened to the girl when she leaves Mango Street? Like, yeah. and I think that what, like, because I used to read that book all the time when I was a little girl, because like really at that time, there were so few like Latinas, like American Latinas, like um, in, in books. And, um, and I lived for books and I just, she was my companion. And then I got older and I had no roadmap. Do you know what I mean? Like there yeah. was no, and I think like, you know, I was raised by my grandparents and they had like a GED between them. And it was like, you know, really they were like, go to college. And then it's like, okay. And it's like, what do I do now? They're like, be a teacher. I don't know. Like, it was like, 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 it was like, be a weather woman. My grandfather was obsessed with me becoming a weather woman. He was like, you'd be a great weather woman. Like, it was like the weirdest. Like, I'm sure you life. would, but. Yeah, but you know, like, and, like, you just sort of didn't know there was no roadmap. And so I think the thing that becomes addictive and I've mentored a lot of young, young women getting out of college, like, and not just Latino women, just young women, especially coming from working class backgrounds, going like first generation college students. And it's like, you don't really know what to do. Like, it's like, there's, so all you know is to get this report card for lack of a better word, like every quarter or so. And that tells you that affirms you, right? Like, mm -hmm. and so like what, what we seek approval, especially when we feel rudderless. And so like climbing, in some ways is this way, means of approval. Like it's like, like I can book this client, I can get it into a magazine or it, now it probably like a blog or an Instagram <laughs> or whatever, but like, you know, like I can do these things and that affirms that I'm okay. Like, and I think that when you don't have a map or a role modeling in your world, which is very like, that is something that I wanted to write this. I really wrote this for, I mean, I'm so happy it's finding this beautiful wider audience and that people seem to love it that are not from this background, but I really was writing it for all of the sort of like um, Latina women that I knew that sort of made their way into like these, you know, success stories. And then it's like, but like, it's like sometimes at what cost, right? Like, and at what like expense and that um, I think, um, and sometimes the toll is emotional and personal and, um, and that, is really what I think I was trying to capture here. Oh, look who's back. Hello, oh my Hector. <laughs> Hector. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I definitely, um, I, I, I sort of like the climbing and the striving, I think is like almost like habitual, if that makes it like, it's like addictive and habitual. Like, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And, and then of course, Olga questions and you make us question, you know, what, who defines what is success? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and, uh. and, and 
maybe maybe the entire book is very much about the question what are you willing to compromise on mm -hmm. and what you aren't which yeah, brings I, us i think pretty oh, well yes. oh. to olga's brother who is also having uh, a tough time figuring out where where he stands in his life oh my gosh i don't know how much we want to talk about some of his dilemmas but yes i loved first of all i'm obsessed with siblings like you know, growing up in Brooklyn is like growing up in like a small town more than like a big city because like you end up like you go to school and you like are like always in school with like siblings. Like it's like, oh, the Gibbons siblings, mm -hmm. like the Joyce siblings, the, the Gonzalez siblings. Like it's like, you know, like we're like, it's like you always know like, oh, your brother is a year older than me. Your sister was a year younger than me. And like, you know, these families. And like, I was always obsessed with how similar and yet different siblings could be and the time, the, the age difference. And like, and so, you know, I really, I, I wanted her to have a brother because I wanted there to be another viewpoint. I didn't want her to be that alone. It's like, mm. you can be characters, but you should also give them something. And, and I also just sort of thought, it's so interesting to see how two different people kind of process things, right? And one person rebels and one person embodies it, right? And in his mind, he thinks he's carrying on the mantle of what, in his best days, he thinks he's carrying mm -hmm. along the mantle, a progressive mantle that his parents kind of had and taking care of his community. But I do think, um, you know, I think that there is, uh, and it's been interesting to watch, like, I think I started this before, I, like or right around, I guess AOC must have just gotten elected, and and I and he's meant to be older than her. But I think just generally, it's been interesting for me to sort of watch, like, can you be uncompromising and be effective, and and what is it like? But also, what's it like to be a first person, right? Like, I think like I always think about that about Obama. Like, if Obama wasn't our first black president, I wonder how much more radical, progressively radical, he might have been. But like there's a, the, that that puts up guardrails to a certain extent of like what you can and can't do. And I think, um, you know, I think for this character, for a bunch of reasons and also time and place, you know, I think one of the things that's so cool and that books can be so valuable for is to remind us that our current personal situation is not the only version of that. Like, I think mm -hmm. we live in a time where, um, you know, so many identities, multiplicities of identities are open and welcome, especially if you like live in the city and you know you sort of get like used to these ideas that everybody accepts everybody. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that that is actually a, a radically new idea, yeah. um, a yep. radically new, even in a place as progressive as New York. And so I think that um, I, some of his character was an homage to just men, men and men of color that I've known that, um, have, have felt confined in their lives and and what um what choices and compromises you make and then and who also gets hurt by that you can be the best person but you make I think uh, just adulting is messy you know what I mean like and I think um uh, yeah I think I wanted to just sort of show like adults that you know whether they intended to or not are kind of messy yeah yeah and and it, it, certainly it feels like maybe AOC is as close as we have, but it's nearly impossible to succeed in government without constantly compromising. Yeah. Well, and I think, again, that's the strange question of like, what's success? Do you know, mm -hmm. like I was thinking about like, you could go 
it depends on how you feel as an individual. Like it's like, does does some progress make you feel better than nothing? Or Mm. does like, you know, or is it like the sticking to your principle, the things that success, like that makes you feel good. And I think in this book, like it's like Blanca is this sort of this like unequivocal, their mom is this like, I'd rather die than give Mm -hmm. in. Like, right. Like, and I think that there's also a space for that. And that that's a version of, of looking at life and that's successful. Like this, like literally living by principles. Um, and then there's other versions where it's like, well, I have economic needs. I have like, I want to not live in a shitty apartment. Like I want to like, you know, like what are the things I'm willing to do to like make some of these other things feel good. And like, and I think that that is um, some of this is just like the, the harsh realities of living. And some of it is individual choice. And some of it is like, the things that kind of warp our, our, our brains a little bit, you know what I mean? Like it's, um, I definitely feel like, I do think one of the things that I think is so interesting is like, if you're from a large family, like, and you are like trying to like work on your career and all these other things, like your family almost always thinks that you suck. Like they're always like, like, but you weren't <laughs> at Johnny's birthday party. Like right. it's like, like, what about Sophia's christening? Like, it's like, like, you know, like, it's like, mm-hmm. like, and you're like, oh, but I had this thing. And it's like, like, and I think like, <laughs> you know, like, I think that that um, in battle, like that embattlement and like, it's almost a val- battle for values, right? And I think that we're um, just in general, because like American values have somehow come to really just be a lot about status symbols versus about community. And I think um, we're in an interesting crossroads now where I think people are rebelling against that a bit. And um, and definitely I think that's part of what both characters in the book face is like how, if I keep valuing this thing, how much is it costing me in this other area? And yeah, yeah. And they both have this, the, the, uh, throughout the book, they receive letters um, from their mother so she, they don't know where she is, but she kind of knows what's up in their lives. Yes. Uh, and she yeah. imparts her wisdom, if you want to call it that. And they're taught to see her as this woman who is principled beyond everything else. And she can't be selfish. This can't be abandonment because, yep. because her goals are so pure. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. I don't know. It's like, but that, isn't that 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 though? I don't know if you've ever watched the um, the Nina Simone documentary, like, yeah. but but like you know, and and if you read about um, if you read about Malcolm X and and almost any and even uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's kids, like any activist that's really committed, there's a certain amount of abandonment. It just might look a little different. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think that it's a a challenging thing to sort of make as a child to make peace with that or to not, you know, like, and, and also I think it's, it's an important thing to question as the kid, how much of that was pure and how much of it was like a reason to not if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. like, you know, like, and I think, and sometimes parenting can make people, you know, we're also in a really awesomely radical new time where we see that as optional. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I think there is a line in the book where she says, you know, when I was 
growing up, like marriage was like a, the only pass into adulthood that a woman could get. Yeah. And it's like, that's how you moved out of the house. Like that was how you got like some fiscal, like, you know, autonomy. Like it was like, like you had to get married first. And I think that as that has changed, that's also changed motherhood and fatherhood. And I think, um, you know, I think that there are a lot of people that maybe would have done more things like, um, and not check that box had that been part of the social norm at the time. And I think that, you know, I, I don't know, I see Blanca as like a, I see Blanca with a lot of empathy, you know, like, it's like, like, I think like, I, I, I oddly, like, I think I started out thinking like, oh, villainy character. And then by the end, I was like, she's always a little right, you know, like, <laughs> she writes these letters, they're always kind of screwed up. But then there's like a little bit that's like true. And I it's yeah, yeah. She certainly, as far as I can tell, comes from a place of of purity in terms of what she wants for her children. Yes. Like she, uh, and I think that's so interesting. She's she's very bad at accepting their flaws. Yes, that's totally. not what she's trying to do. But she does want some kind of you know perfect yeah. life I, for both of them. I think. Also, one of the things that's interesting is like, so I actually thought about her character, the circumstance of like the leaving was obviously like inspired personally, but but her character was inspired by this like actual revolutionary in Puerto Rico, um, Filiberto Ojeda Rios. And he like literally went into the mountains and just would send his kids little recordings like on like, you know, VHS tapes every once in a while. And like, they didn't see him for like 20 years. And and I think I thought about like kind of at once the arrogance and confidence of that. And, and that also just made me think like, we think this idea of like legacy and like, you know, leaving behind a legacy and sort of like what your, your children like spot emulating you that that's always been an idea that's like somehow in our minds, like it's like secession, like it's only something that rich people want, like Donald mm -hmm. Trump and like the, the, the guy in secession. And it's like, and in actuality, I think that there's a lot of that, like this idea of like, but I, you are my children. There's a, you know, and I, there's a great line in, um, if you ever watch Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, where he's like, but I raised you, and, and Sidney Poitier's character like looks at his father and says, but I never asked to be born. But right. there is a certain arrogance, especially when you are doing things that require boldness and confidence that like you had these children to keep doing what you wanted them to do, right? And I think that that was kind of a, a fun idea to like lean into not having it be tied to like, inheriting a family business per se, or like, you know, like a man having that idea about his children, like the idea that a woman could also feel this sort of kind of control that you owe me something like yeah. beyond just your happiness. And I think that that's sort of just an, I don't know. I think that we should have the space. Uh, I don't know, in a funny way, a really feminist novel has to have the space for bad moms, right? Like, <laughs> Of course, yeah, we need ambivalence right. there. Yeah, 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 we need a little ambivalence. <laughs> um, and, and then I think um, one of the other questions in the novel, which I feel like consumes a lot of my time um, and probably a lot of other people's time is how do we best elevate our community mm. and how do we go about it is there one way to go about it and um what is actually effective 
It's giving gosh. today. I'm talking to you on Giving yeah. Tuesday. Yeah. So oh like- my gosh, I know. Oh my gosh, where we've been. It's funny. I've been both sending and inundated with things like. Um, but yeah, you know, actually, I've thought a lot about this because I have friends that became friends because they owned one of the first like nice restaurants in Fort Greene, and it opened right near my old apartment and you know, it was such a novelty that I would like stop in for like a drink or a little snack. And like, and I would, I would kind of just went all the time and I ended up, you know, befriending the owners. And, and I was so sad because they lost their lease, like a, like a bunch of, and, and they moved, like, you know, luckily they, they took the, the, the restaurant and they took it somewhere else. But, you know, I, I started thinking about how I couldn't stop a restaurant from coming to Fort Greene, like a good restaurant. But what was good was that it didn't feel like outsiders coming in. Does that make like, it's like, like, is there an involvement and a knowledge? So I think it's like, when you are the person that is there, do I have relationships with people? And am I a part of a neighborhood or am I a transient? And I think the same goes with people that open up restaurants and stores and things and other it's like is this like you know I think about like I I I remember when I was leaving for Iowa I was like I've lived here longer than Greenlight I lived here before there was like a nice grocery store I lived here where there was nothing but Sammy's Bodega and like shrink wrap pound cakes and it was like and when that was the case I always went to see Sammy and then Sammy closes Bodega and then I was like I guess I'll go to Hungry Ghost now but like I think loyalty is like loyalty and relationships are like absolutely how we help our community because what ends up happening is you know I'll never forget this like and this is a a story that I should be embarrassed about but I'm not like I used to always go to the same laundry people constantly like I mean I did my laundry I didn't have a washer dryer and so I would take it to drop and fold and I mean I knew their kids like I knew where the kids are going to high school I knew their extracurriculars and I remember during the recession I could not afford to get my laundry out. Like I like, I mean, it was like this today, like the problem, I really wanted her to be a small business owner because this happens. Like, this is like, like, you know, you are like at the mercy of other people's whims and thought thoughts and forgetfulness and, you know, and, and I couldn't afford to get my laundry out. And the, the owner saw me passing and he's like, your laundry. And I was like, and I was like, I'm so embarrassed. I was like, I don't have money to pay to get it out. Like, give me like three days. And he was like, just take your laundry. Like, you know, and like, and I think, that that is like, you know, and then I remember friends of mine saying, oh, there's a service that'll come because I lived up one flight of stairs, like on the parlor level. And they're like, there's a service that'll come and they'll come up and they'll take it and they'll put it in a car and they'll bring it back to you later. And you don't have to lug it three blocks. And I was like, I will take my laundry to him for as long as I live here. Because when I was at my lowest, he helped me and I will not reward that by like calling some service. So I think some of it is like loyalty and some of it is like knowing people and saying hello. And I think that we, we have this weird reputation in New York for being unfriendly, which I actually think is absolutely the exact opposite of true. We're just busy, but like, I think like, you know, it is the repetitiveness of routine that makes a neighborhood, a neighborhood and a community, a community. And, and that saying hello to people. And like, I got the most delightful email from one of my former upstairs neighbors when I lived at one house in South Oxford street, like 11, literally 11 years ago. And she was like, I saw something about your book and I Googled and I was like, is this the same person? And it was, and like, but you know, how many conversations had we had that made her feel comfortable with doing that? And I think that that is how we can allow for change that change can feel at least semi-organic. Do you know what I mean? Like, and um, yeah, yeah. 
I don't know. That's a long-winded answer, I guess. And I'm by heart, I'm by far the, the, an expert. I just, I, I'm very cognizant. I think about the problem constant. I think about the problem sure. constant. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and even like I appreciate that. So so the novel is mostly set in 2017, and we see Prieto go to Puerto Rico, and Olga feels like maybe it's not that helpful if I show up there now. Like we've we've been seeing different hurricanes coming in, and we it's kind of you have this tension of knowing that Maria is on the way. Yeah. 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 And then and then how are we supposed how how is Olga in particular supposed to help? Yeah. You know, I think that that's something I also think about so much and I remember going after Maria and buying a ton of groceries and things at Target and diapers and blah, blah, blah. Like that, there's a scene that that was actually like almost true to life. Like, and I remember taking it over to, um, it, I, I don't even remember, it wasn't to James's office, but it was like some local politician's office was gonna get them on a plane or whatever. And, um, and I just, I remember thinking, should I be down there? Should I get down there? And then thinking like, is that something like, you know, like sometimes like this idea of like, grand gestures and it's like mm -hmm. like are you doing those gestures to make yourself feel better or because like that actually is the right thing to do and it's like sometimes our own guilt and our own comfort makes us want to make these grand gestures that we can we can afford to take five days off and we can afford to get on a plane and so but like is that the Did right you? gesture for the moment yeah. I didn't no I didn't go I didn't go because I it was like you at the end of the day are a whiny comfort creature person. Like, it's like, like, and it's like, and is that, I, I don't, is this the best thing for me to do? And it's like, you know, and I, I remember instead, like I, there were a bunch of students that had come up from UPR that went to Brown and like, I was like, oh my God, they don't have winter coats. And like, we figured out how to get the winter clothes. Like, it's like, like, what are pragmatic things that you can do within your own network to like help people with practical problems versus the gestures that some, and I, I, you know, and I think Prieto goes down because he's a politician right. because like, you know, like it's like, like to actually, I think at one point he says to bear witness and know that nobody was like lying or minimizing things. But I think, you know, I, I sort of liked that they have this different, different relationship to the island and I think I liked that they have a different relationship to what's being helpful and it's not a lack of empathy it's a lack of like I think sometimes like especially maybe it's because I, I came through with the same mindset this idea of like a it's a version of throwing money at a problem do you know what I mean like it's like I guess I could just go but it's like you go what she gonna do like hand out 10 water bottles and then like she feels better about herself like it's not to diminish the people that did that but like I think this is like there's a cognizance of like who am I trying to make feel better here yeah. and and I think that that's like an interesting thing about these aid situations sometimes in general that I thought was and I think it also I will say part of the other reason why I didn't go down and part of that's autobiographical why she didn't go down is like it feels so like you're othering people and it's like I'm not othered like this is my like this is my I am from this this is my my root like and it's like so let me not other you like you know it does and I think it felt like very like hand down well also it's because it's help that sweeps in you know the really beautiful thing that happened in Puerto Rico that's in the very tail end of the book but like is like like the last eight pages but really the communities 
came together and and have almost succeeded in decentralizing their own government in in many many ways like and that, that's part of what all that unrest it was so easy to organize in the summer of 2019 because the communities had been coming together and cooking for each other and figuring out like some you know small solar so small solar grids and just i think that that is um that feels so different than like fema coming in and dropping down tarps like <laughs> it's like, yes yes and uh they're not timely about that anyway. No. <laughs> um, I, I love this conversation. Um, maybe before I ask you for book recommendations, um, we can talk just a little bit about Sunset Park and yes. how that's such a big part of the book is Olga's family is there. and. The thing that struck me was that she talks about how her grandmother kind of put up with this racist landlord uh, in order to make her life easier and to ultimately be able to buy a place. Yeah. It's kind of unheard of in, in the neighborhood at that time. And, um, and how much Olga's mother would just hate that. Yeah. <laughs> As, yeah. as a good example of like, here are two ways to go about living in the world. Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, gosh. It's funny. I mean, I, my grandfather came very early from Puerto Rico and would tell me the most like horrific stories about the way that they would get treated and um, his family would get treated. And I was watching the Rita Moreno doc that's on Netflix, I think. And she mm -hmm. talks about the same thing, the same, the same stories almost as what my grandfather was telling me. And I, and I think I really wanted to just showcase the evolution of how, how Puerto Ricans in particular, like have, have been able to survive in this, as part of this, like experiment of this country and this terrible relationship is you can come in and assimilate and then you lose some of your culture and maybe a little bit of your dignity and maybe a little bit of your moments of pride but you can make space for your family and 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 give them something to latch on to mm -hmm. or you can totally revolt like and I think like that comes but what Blanca never realizes it's because she knows she's got a roof over her head that she feels she can mouth off right like that security like you know it's like it's all of her mother's efforts that make yes. her feel that enable her to have the space and the luxury of confidence yes. right yes. like the confidence to tell him off like it's like she's not the one working like getting up at seven in the morning and getting to work at seven in the morning on a Saturday like and 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 raising this family so I think that like I wanted to make space for the multitudes of ways in which you know, all Latinx is a very diverse term, but even especially Puerto Rican diaspora, Caribbean Latinx uh, communities, there's so much diversity within our, our, our skin, our physical appearance, our, 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 you know, our way of thinking about politics, like our way of thinking about our relationship to our homeland. And I tried very much to pay honor to that because I wanted I wanted anybody with any version of it to pick up and feel at least a little bit seen in that in that version. And so like I, I I felt that that to me was such a part of my family's dynamic, you know, my grandfather being like, it's OK, like just get like, and my mom being so like whatever and me kind of trying to make sense of somewhere in between, you know, mm -hmm. like and yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Love that. Um, thank you so much. Before we go. Oh, yes. You'd like to recommend? Okay, I do. And I, I, I hope that they're not all supposed to be new. So I, why did I pull them aside? Okay, so cut forthcoming. Niruda on the Park by Clavis Natera is coming out in April and it is wonderful. It's really, really wonderful. And I used to, I workshopped with Clavis, so I've been reading it in forms and it's very exciting. And then I just reread it again. I reread it so many times. Why did I pull all the books? The House on Mango Street like really stays, but it gives you a different gift every time you read it. And it's like the most, I don't know, like it's like, it makes me cry every time, but for totally different reasons. And I think that that's like a beautiful thing. Like, it's like, like when I was young, it was because I understood the experience. And then when I got older, it was like, I knew what was going to come for her. And then like, I don't know, it's like this heartbreaking thing. Okay, then a lot of people haven't re read it because it's now old, but Fortress of Solitude, I j again, just reread it. It's, it's still, it's still heartbreaking. And actually so much more interesting to read it now in the post aftermath of like you know talking about people making gestures to feel good about themselves but like in the aftermath of of George Floyd and I think that it it withstands scrutiny but it also situates the friendship in such an interesting and different way um and then um we the animals again because I like to cry and it's just you know I think perfect and and, and small and thin and then the sellout by Paul Beatty I like read it I reread it all the time. I reread that book like a lot. Like it's a dense book. It's like, but it's like so, first of all, it's so unapologetic and I love unapologetic books. Like it's so unapologetic and it's like just the language and the amount of lootedness in there. And I love that again, like I love really specific, like I'm like there, there, this book is, I'm not from LA. I'm not a black man. I know that it's probably 17 times richer and yet I get so much out of it. And I love that. I love knowing that I'm not knowing every layer of it and yet I love it. And so, um, I don't know, those are my recs. Like if people, they're all kind of seasoned books. So I hope that that's okay. Yeah. I love them. It's perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sochul and, and Hector. <laughs> <laughs> he was so well behaved. I'm so proud of him. Okay. Thank you so much. This is so delightful, really. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.